I love that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain for the sin of the world, yet He's alive and He is the Lion who will return. And so for us, it's, it's either your will be done or your will be done. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The problem that we're going to look at today is intentional ignorance. That's one of two problems that we're going to look at. But the first, intentional ignorance. This is exactly what the Pharisees did regarding Jesus. Those who reject Christ exchange the truth for a lie. So my question is, well, what, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus said it plainly in John 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them, set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, there is a heretical shift in the evangelical church right now that God's word is not truth, that it's, it's just a mere guideline for life, that it's not sufficient, that it's just a rule book, that, that God was not clear in his word. And there's, this, there's been this shift to detach from the Old Testament. And we pick and choose what scriptures you know, make us feel good compared to the truth that pierces the heart. If you think that God wasn't clear with what he was saying, you're questioning God's character, and that's a dangerous ballgame. You know who else threw away the truth? The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. These leaders, they exchanged the truth for power, control, greed, and sin in general. I want to open up with a short story by Stuart Strachan Jr. titled, Haters of Humanity. Most of us are aware of various persecutions that took place during the first few centuries of the church's existence. One particularly brutal local persecution took place during the reign of Nero, who was emperor from 37 to 68 AD. It began with a fire, which many believe that Nero himself began in an attempt to lay hold of a piece of land. And so to dispel the rumors that this fire, that he started this fire and of his own guilt, Nero blamed this young, seemingly fanatical religious group known as the Christians. Their punishment was severe, especially cruel. Those found guilty were con convicted, not of starting a fire, but of, and I quote, hating humanity. And they were punished and tortured by crucifixion or being torn by dogs or being used as lights. And what I mean as being used by lights, that they were burned at the stake to death in Nero's garden and local circuses. Looking back, it's hard not to see the true hater of humanity whose gossip and lies, which is the second problem we're going to talk about is gossip and lies were considered expedient, even if that meant innocent people would be put to death. And so this problem of lying and gossiping, which is all a part of a more broad view of sin, this sin problem led to the sacrifice, led to the torture and the death of the Lamb of God. Now, who's the Lamb of God? That being Jesus. Why was Jesus sacrificed on the cross? The penalty of sin is death. 
God is holy and he had to deal with sin. He had to deal with sin. So for Israel, God's chosen people, what they did when they when they sinned to pay for their sins, they would go to the Levite and offer a sacrifice. So the Levite was kind of like a a butcher for the most part, and the blood would be shed and they'd be forgiven. Yet they saw the price of their sins by hearing the animal getting slaughtered, by seeing the cost of the animal and the blood that was shed. Their faith led to the outward obedience. Jesus is the spotless, sinless, sacrificial lamb who paid for the sin of the world. He is the ultimate substitute. He's the ultimate substitute who paid our sin debt in full. Who then was laid in a tomb for three days, yet the tomb is empty. And Jesus conquered death and rose again, proving that he is indeed the Savior and the Christ. So due to to Jesus, we can rejoice. We can rejoice knowing that we've been given mercy. We have been delivered from God's wrath on sin. And we also have been given grace. And so when I say we've been given grace... We're getting way more than what we deserve. We have a hope. We have a future. And that future is to enjoy God and to be with him forever. Even though we are not worthy whatsoever. We are not worthy. Matter of fact, we should be separated from God due to our sin. Yet God is rich in mercy and loving kindness and has given us grace upon grace upon grace. This is amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, like me, was once lost, but now I'm found, was blind, yet now I see. How can one man's death account for all the sin of the world? Past, present, and future. I want you to know that as Sin entered through one man. In the beginning, Adam, man, we see that life came through another. Jesus is the only sinless one who bore the sin of all. Kendall Kirk, I was actually going to preach this sermon uh, months ago for youth. Uh, and so he, he led communion at that time. But uh, anyways, he, he shared uh, weeks ago when we had communion. He said, through one man came death. Yet through Christ, we are given life everlasting. Napoleon Bonaparte said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. No mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. All these great leaders of of, of power, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, they have all founded empires. But how did they find their how did they find their empires? How how did they start them and keep them? It was all by force. It was all by force. You wanna know how Jesus founded his empire? Jesus founded his empire by love. Love and action. And at this hour, even today, even today, millions of men would die for him. I want to share with you a short clip about why Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient and enough. This is from a sermon by Paul Washer. Once I was preaching in a secular university. 
University. And as I was preaching on the atonement, this student stood up and he said, I got a question for you. I said, what? How can one man suffering for a few short hours on a cross save a multitude of men, a countless multitude according to you, of men from eternal judgment? I said, son, you meant it for evil, but God will mean it for good. Thank you for that question. Now sit down. <laughs> you want to know how that one man dying alone for a few short hours on a tree can save a multitude of men from an eternity in hell because that one man is worth more than all of them put together. You take mountains and molehills, crickets and clowns. You take everything, every planet, every star, every form of beauty, everything that sings, everything that brings the light, and you put it all in the scale, and you put Christ on the other side, and he outweighs them all. He outweighs them all. Jesus outweighs everything. So this is who we, the church, his bride, that we chase after. He is the groom. We are the bride. Jesus is God. Jesus is God who who wrapped himself in flesh and he walked among us. He walked in his creation. He fulfilled the law perfectly to a T. And yet, even though he was sinless, he was slaughtered to display his love for us who cannot attain perfection. We cannot fulfill the law, yet Jesus fulfilled it. His love for us was displayed on the cross and he bore all our sins, all of our sins. How humbling. Now, the true biblical gospel, it'll do two things. It'll do two things. It'll either cause you to fall to your knees and cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if we confess, he is quick. We confess our sins to the Lord. He is so quick to forgive. And you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you repent or the other side, you'll hear this true gospel, you'll hear the true good news of Christ, and you'll harden your heart, and you'll hate the truth, and you hate Jesus, and you hate his word. There is no middle ground. We look at the cross, and we know our sin, my sin, your sin, contributed to the crucifixion and the torture and the death of Jesus, the one who didn't deserve it at all. Is there any sorrow? Is there any sorrow? Is there any conviction about the gospel? Christ drank the cup of God's wrath that we deserve due to our sin against the holy God. There's a song I really like. It's called Crown of Thorns by Four Today. I just want to share a few lyrics from it. Matty Montgomery, he said, it, it should have been me with the nails through my hands and feet 
facing the wrath of God. It should have been me left to pay for my sin forsaken. But in the blood, I stand here. Born to die, he bore the fire of God's holy wrath on his shoulders. Born to die, I watched him pour out his life as a ransom for all. And as he carried his cross on his back, beaten and bloody, I saw myself there too. Because I've been broken by a world that hates me, but I'm not alone anymore. No one could take his life. He laid it down for me. That twisted wreath of thorns, he took that crown for me. Then after three days, out of the ground for me, he overcame it all. He overcame it all. Now I live to serve him with stripes on his back, betrayed by the ones, us, that he loved so perfectly. We spit in his face. We spit in his face and we crowned him with the crown of thorns. So praise God if you want to be forgiven of sins. Praise God if you're wrestling and working out your salvation of fear and trembling. Praise God that the Holy Spirit transformed your heart to be born again and convicted you and convicted your heart of the need for the true Savior, the true way, which is Christ alone who provides forgiveness of sins. I have a friend who he might be watching right now that he's had some struggles and he and he sometimes he, he thinks that he's not even saved he thinks he's not even saved because he, he keeps struggling and he keeps falling down. And he keeps missing the mark and he keeps messing up with sin. And I told him, brother, is it by your obedience that you're saved? Is it by your book reading that you're saved? Your, your praying and your church attendance and your giving that you're saved? Is it by your works? It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And even the fact that He was confessing sin, (laughs) that he was confessing sin. Brother, you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you didn't care at all, I would be more concerned. But rejoice knowing that the Holy Spirit has convicted you and that he's with you and he will not forsake you. So praise the Lord this morning if you are wrestling against sin and knowing that if you're tired... That the Lord Jesus Christ said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for, it is, for it's easy. My, it, it is light. You don't have to carry it. He bore it himself. What is frustrating and sad from our passage this morning is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they, they didn't want forgiveness of sins, or they didn't want God the Father They didn't want God the Father. Jesus said, if you knew God the Father, you would know me. You would know me because I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So once again, that takes down that whole argument of detaching from the Old Testament. Because Jesus and God the Father are one. And now, and people say, oh, Paul wrote that. Jesus didn't say that. Paul wrote that. But you know who spoke through Paul to declare the truth? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came to glorify God the Father and God the Son. All the same God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. All of this is sufficient. This is the revealed Word of God. 
And yet these, these religious leaders, they, they despise the truth. They despise the Savior. They despise the Christ because their pride, it clouded their judgment. They thought, I don't need saving. They wanted freedom from the Roman Empire. You know why they wanted freedom from the Roman Empire? It's because they wanted to live their best life now. Okay? There's a book out there as well called Live Your Best Life Now, which I highly recommend you do not read. Now, compared to, they wanted their, their best life now, compared to the eternal solution that was in the arrival of Christ. Now, the law does not save, but the law brings the knowledge that God is holy. God is holy. He is without sin. And we are not holy. We are not holy. And we can't attain it in the flesh. We can't attain it. We miss the mark. The Spirit helps us to understand that we need the Savior. Why do we need a Savior? It's quite simple. In the book, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including myself. Including myself. It should have been me. It should have been me. It should have been you. But God is rich in mercy and grace. It's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. Every morning, I look in the mirror and I see a sinner who has been saved. And yet, it's so unfair. It's so unfair. All I have to give to God is my filth, my rags, my garbage, my sin. Yet, the beauty of the grace of God, <laughs> we give Jesus all of that, all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our sin. And in an exchange, Jesus gives us his righteousness in the sight of God the Father. Because of Christ, we are fully justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We go from death to life. You were on death row, but now you are free because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, they didn't even give Jesus a chance. They didn't even give him a chance to say where he was born. They were intentionally ignorant. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have seen the Matrix, but there's a scene where this guy, he doesn't want to be in the Matrix anymore because he sees the world the way it really is. And he goes, I want to be put back in. And he has this stake and he says, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss, right? The sad thing is so many people suppress the truth of the broken world we live in. And how do we do that? How? So many are depressed because everyone is so overstimulated on dopamine. Whether it's I'm just trying to get to Friday so then I can hit the bottle. Whether it's I'm just trying to get through the day so I can look up a porn video. Whether it's through uh, getting high or distracting yourself, maybe even with innocent things. You work so hard to get all the money you can. And then you become with all this dopamine, you become lifeless. You become apathetic. You don't even feel anything. You don't have any emotion. You don't have any sense and you don't care about what's right and wrong. Paul Washer said that every addict he's ever met with, and I can relate to this, every addict he's ever met with has said the reason they kept getting high is because they just wanted to feel that first high one more time. One more time. 
And the saddest thing that I've seen is that people are killing themselves with their sin. People exchange their soul just to find this high one more time. And they perish. They kill themselves due to their addictions. Sin kills. Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound more and more? By no means. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to turn from the very thing that Jesus drank the cup of wrath for. We don't rejoice. Love does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but love rejoices with righteousness. Even Peter said, the Lord your God is holy, therefore ye must be holy. Now, I'm not saying either that you're going to attain holiness in your life, that you're going to all of a sudden be poof and you're, you're without sin. But we're in the process. We're in the process and we're still locked within the confines of our flesh. But if we confess We will be forgiven and we need to continue to seek the Lord who will grow the holiness in you. You are sanctified. You are set apart and you're in the sanctification process from now until you die when you're born again. And then you experience glorification, final sanctification, where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more hurt, no more struggling against sin. And what a glorious day that will be. A lot of people, unfortunately, think Wine, dine, and be merry, right? YOLO, right? You only live life once, so sin as much as you can. Consume. We look at the church as a consumer product. Consume as much as you can. Take what you can and give nothing back, to quote Captain Jack Sparrow for you. Reject God and live for yourself. If that's the case, Christ died for nothing. And you are on the wide path to destruction compared to the narrow path. And Jude said, share the truth. Even so, snatch them from the fire, hating even the garment that is contaminated by sin. The story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, 30 years earlier, the Jewish leaders were told the Savior had been born. They were told the Savior had been born, yet they, they, they just shrugged it off. They didn't care. It was of no importance to them. All they needed to do to figure out that Jesus was the Messiah was to ask some simple questions. How could you know the truth if you're not desiring the truth? A simple question of where you were born, they could have asked Jesus if they didn't want it because they did not want the Messiah. Nicodemus, he even tried to ask questions, yet... How quickly that they turned down Nicodemus and they mocked him. They said, oh, who are you? And no prophet comes from Galilee. Are you from Galilee? No one wants to think about eternity. No one wants to think about life and death and the truth of that and the severity of that. People don't want facts, but they just want to believe a lie that maybe sugarcoats it and tickles their ears. The Jewish leaders were spiritually dead. They made themselves deaf and blind and they hardened their hearts. Now, is that true of any of you this morning? Have you pulled a Romans one? Have you seared your conscience? Have you hardened your heart? Are you living blatantly in sin with no remorse, no repentance? How do you live when you leave through those doors this morning? Is there any hunger for Christ 
Any desire to obey and live for him due to the beautiful grace and mercy that he earned for you. If someone were to ask you, or if someone was to ask someone else about you, what would they say? What would they say? Would they say he or she is a, is a devout follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or would you be known instead as the jerk? Would you be known instead as, as the bully, as the liar, the thief, an athlete only, or maybe an artist or a musician or a drunk or a sexually immoral or an addict or maybe a gossiper, which gossip is going to be the next thing that we're going to address I want you to know, if you go outside and you look directly west, you will see a cemetery. And you will see many tombstones, which may give you just a small glimpse into someone's life. So my question is, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for? Maybe who do you want to be remembered for? Maybe, maybe it's uh, your, your popularity. Or maybe it's, man, that guy just, he really loved pizza, I tell you what. Or maybe it's, oh, he was, a, he was a hardcore Chiefs fan, which Todd roasted me for a few weeks ago. Or maybe it's, you know, your, your love of your career. He was a hard worker. He, he, he grinded every single day and he made so much money and he loved his career. I want you to know, of all the hospital visits I've ever had, no one ever says, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have spent more money. I wish I would have achieved more things in life. They, they, most people say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Or maybe it's something else that you'll be remembered for. Family, friends, maybe a, a loving daughter, or maybe you'll be remembered as a son or a father, mother, grandmother, grandfather, etc. But due to who you are in Christ, how are we living that out? Are you living a life that has been radically transformed by the Holy Spirit? Are you a new creature that has made the Holy Spirit has brought you the living water and that you have been born again? Or are you still a living, breathing, walking corpse who just embraces the lies compared to the truth and you harden your heart? So now we're going to look at our next problem. We looked at intentional ignorance of the Jewish leaders, but now I would like to talk about the tongue. The tongue. And so what I mean by that is how do you speak? How do you speak? Is the way that you speak, is it true? Is it life-giving? Is it building up in the faith and encouraging in the faith? Iron sharpening iron. Or is it lies, gossip, toxicity, blasphemy? With the way you speak, is it holy and righteous or sinful and unholy? I understand that you are not perfect, nor am I. We've missed the mark. But what does the word of God say about the tongue and the way we speak? James 3, verses 4 to 10, if you want to write down, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. So if you want to be writing down the scriptures, I'll try to be a little bit more slow than I was the first service with saying the scriptures. So maybe you can write them down. So James 3, 4 to 10 says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the same tongue, we bless and praise the Lord just like we did earlier. We bless and praise our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue, we curse people. We put others down who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Psalm 15, 1-3 from the New Living Translation says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Psalm 15, 1-3 Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. <clears throat> now, this is, this is my task and duty, but also privilege to share with you the Word of God. It's not easy. I am fallible. The Word of God is infallible. It's perfect. I am not. And something that is sad is, and I've seen it, is... How many times that a Bible study isn't really a Bible study? I want to share a story of a man who he was pondering the Lord in his heart. He's pondering the Lord in his heart. He was regenerated. He was born again. He believed and trusted in Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And he, he trusted in Jesus as a Savior and Lord. And then, you know, he was digging into the Word of God. He was digging into the Scriptures and and he was being sanctified by the knowledge of God and it was the Holy Spirit was applying it to his heart and and then he, he, he thought, Man, I, I think I want to learn more and more. I, I'm I'm commanded to have fellowship, iron sharpens iron, and to not neglect meeting with a body of believers, so I, I want to get involved with with the church. He he saw the beauty of the gospel and it tasted like honey. And he knew that the Bible study was at the local church before the main gathering. And so he was, he was really nervous to go. He was really nervous to go. And, and, he, and he was so nervous because he knew that he had things in his life that certain sins that he struggled with. Things that he hadn't conquered. Things that the Holy Spirit hasn't uh, completely helped him walk through yet. He was still on milk compared to people that claimed to be on T-bone steaks. Yet... He was afraid due to how the got it all together, dressed nice, self-righteous Christians may view him. And he knew that, that this is going to be a challenge. And so he, he gets there and he's ready to get the Bible study. He's wondering, what's the subject for today? What's going to be the topic for today in the Word of God? And he opens up the door and it turns out the subject was him. People are talking about him behind his back. And uh, putting him down. And uh, that, that person never returned. And it left a really bitter taste in that person's mouth for a very long time about the church. He never returned. I want to encourage you to be a person. And I'm not perfect of this. To be a person who is known for complimenting others and lifting them up behind their back compared to spreading lies. This is a great reminder that we must, and I mean we must, think before we speak. So think about how do you speak? I need to think about how do I speak? But also 
How does Jesus speak? The question this morning, has anyone ever spoken like Jesus? And a while ago with the youth, we discussed the question, um, has, will anyone else compare to what Jesus has done to prove that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world? So this week is going to be something a little similar to that, if any of the youth kids are here, but maybe a little bit different. So please open up in your Bibles now to John 7, verse 40. John 7, verse 40. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, And so I'm going to read verse 40 to 44 to start. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So now in these verses in 40 and 40 to 42, we see the blatant ignorance come into play. If they searched diligently for Jesus' birth records, they would have discovered that he was born in Bethlehem. How do we know this? The scripture literally records this. The scripture records where he was born and from what lineage that he would be born from. The covenant, a.k.a. the promise lineage. It dates back to Abraham that that God would bless Abraham with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as as the sand on the seashore, which was true because all who have been born again and trusted in Christ for salvation, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that you have been adopted to sonship and are children of God. Therefore, we are part of that precious lineage dating all the way back to Abraham. God told David in Psalm 89, verse 3 to 4, You have said, I have made a covenant. I have made a promise with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. That was Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. From that very lineage came the Savior, that being Jesus. Now, if you want to look at that whole lineage later, you can go check that out in Matthew 1, verses 1 to 17. Matthew 1, verse 1 to 17. Now, Joseph, the husband of Mary... Was in that lineage. Jesus, this is why the virgin birth is so crucial. Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. Due to this, Jesus was born without the sinful nature that's been passed down to us from since Adam, generation to generation to generation. So Jesus was not born with that. Granted, he was tempted by Satan, yet he refused and he was obedient. And you know how he did that? Well, Wow, he quoted the word of God to Satan. Matthew 2 verse 1 shows us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why was this so important? The Jewish leaders knew that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which was in northern Galilee. Therefore, the Jews, they were blatantly ignorant. No, he wasn't born in Bethlehem. He was born in Galilee. No, 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 no. And they scoffed at him. They scoffed at him. They denied the facts. All they needed to do, once again, look for the birth records. But no, there was no effort. They refused. 
And you can refuse the truth all you want, but the truth is the truth regardless of how you feel or what you experience. The word of God is truth. Verse 44, they could not arrest him. Why? In verse 30, why could they not arrest him? Well, it's because their arms are too short to box with the plan of God. They can't box with God. They can't hang with God. No one can stop his plan. No one can stop his plan. The earth is his footstool. And I hope this encourages you knowing that that God is in control. God is in control of your life. Every single thing that you have gone through, every single thing, even though it may seem like it's for evil, but God meant it for good. God is sovereign. He is over all things. And that you can remember and rejoice even during the most difficult trials. Not because, oh, look at the circles of my bank account. The Lord's really blessed me. I'm so prosperous. No, it's knowing, it's knowing that you can look at the cross and there's forgiveness of sins. That your salvation has been secured by Jesus. It's not your doing. It's not your doing. And so Chuck Swindoll, he said, we must keep an eternal perspective. And I know that problems can get right in your face, so you can't see, but we must remember what lies ahead. What lies ahead. We must remember the eternal hope that we have. We must remind ourselves that during the storms of life, when we're, when we're on those boats and the waves are crashing against us, and it seems like all hope is lost. I remember when Jared and I were talking about, and I keep quoting you randomly throughout the day. So uh, there's a, he, we were talking once about how we're always to be making that firm foundation of, in Christ. And we have that firm foundation so that when the storms of life come and destroy the building and the building's completely gone, you still have your foundation. You still have your foundation. And also, I want to remind you, the boats, when the disciples, they were, they were freaking out. They, they thought they were going to die because of this storm. They looked at the Sea of Galilee as if it was death due to how so many people died because of storms and, and the rushing water. Yet, when... When Peter saw that Jesus was out there and he began to go toward him and he kept his eyes on Christ, he wasn't keeping his eyes on the storm. He kept his eyes on Christ. He kept pressing forward. He kept pressing on. And then eventually the, the troubles and, and, the, and the pain and the, and the fear of the storm and whatever your pain may be, it started to distract him and he, and he lost the eternal perspective. He started to sink. Yet Jesus still reached out in the water, pulled him out and said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? So we need to remember that Christ will continue to keep hold of his sheep. He keeps them in the palm of his hand and he will not leave them nor forsake them. And the sheep hear his voice and we turn and we trust in him and he will guide us as our shepherd. He will guide us and he will guide your boats to the glorious shore. We must believe We must believe. Do not harden your heart, but turn to Christ. Now let's look at verses 45 to 46 in John chapter 7. Verse 45 to 46. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him in? Why did you not arrest Jesus? And then the officers answered, this is our our main point for this morning. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. So do you know anyone in your life that has spoken 
like Jesus. Could this man, could he indeed be the Savior, Christ, King, Messiah, and Lord? I want to share with you a lot of scripture right now, so be ready to take some notes. Um, and I'll, I'll try to keep it slow so we can, you can be able to record them in time as a faithful scribe. Um, and, and so I also uh, want you to look these scriptures up in your own time because never just take someone's word as truth. That's very dangerous. It must be in line with the scripture. So John Piper, he had this, um, this great article entitled Eight Outrageous Claims of Christ. We're going to look at those. Claim number one. Jesus claims to be God incarnate. John 13, 19. John 13, 19 and Exodus 3, 14. Jesus is the great I am. When God the Father spoke with Moses, Moses did not know what to tell the Israelites concerning uh, who sent him to free them from slavery in Egypt. What, what, what do I tell them? And God told him, You say that I am sent you, that Yahweh sent you. Jesus is God. Claim number two. Jesus claimed to exist before he put on flesh and was born. John 8, verse 58. 858. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And when you read of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is Jesus before he was in the flesh. Also, you can look at John chapter one, which says in the beginning was the word Jesus. The word Jesus was with God and the word Jesus was God. All things were made through him in him was life. And that life was the light of men. So Jesus is God and eternal. Claim number three, Jesus claims to be the shepherd who dies for his sheep. John 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, and you can just go read all of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Claim number four. Jesus claims to be the only way. Not a universalism way or a postmodern, your truth is your truth type of way. Jesus claims that he alone is the way. John 14 verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 12 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Claim five. Jesus claims to be the bread of life and living water in John 6, 35. So therefore, don't work for bread that perishes. Don't work for just a paycheck or food that goes in and then, you know, it goes away. Uh, But 
Instead, be focused on the bread that is eternal. Be focused on the living water. And when you do that, you'll better remind yourself why you continue to press on. Because you're living for that eternal perspective. Claim number six. Jesus claims that we can do nothing without him. And that is so true. That is so true. I have nothing original. This is just the word of God. And I'm just, I have the privilege, sometimes the, the fear of sharing the truth with you. John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In verse 5 of chapter 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. We must stay connected to Jesus every day. Every day. Whoever abides in me, or when you hear abide, you can think whoever rests in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need Jesus. Claim number seven. Jesus claims to be the one who raises people from the dead. I love this chapter in John. John chapter 11, verse 25. <sighs> Jesus said, has anyone ever spoken like this? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And he went over to Lazarus, who was dead for days, and said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, and he was no longer dead, but alive. John six forty. John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Claim number eight, the last claim that we're going to look at, yet there are many, many more, and when you dig into the treasure of God's Word, He claims to be, Jesus claims to be the supreme glory who will satisfy us forever. The supreme glory who will satisfy us forever. Meaning that since you have believed from that point on for eternity, because of the grace of God, you will get to enjoy him and grow in your relationship with him every day forever. You get to enjoy that. You get to enjoy that. Not to be separated, but to be deeply loved, but to be fulfilled and to grow in that every day sanctified, justified, sanctification, glorification. John 17, 24, Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. John 17, 24. Has anyone ever spoken like this man? Has anyone ever said to some paralyzed man, be healed, and then he was just fully given full health? Has anyone ever given thanks and then fed four and five thousand people? Has anyone ever spoken and healed someone who was dying from a deadly disease completely? Has anyone ever told you, this is, this is the real kicker for me. Has anyone ever come up to you and told you your exact thoughts perfectly and described all you did throughout the day, even if no one was watching. Jesus knows you better than anybody else ever will. He knows your thoughts. He knows every action you've ever done, whether you thought it was hidden or not. Yet, 
Jesus still looks upon us sinners and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's amazing grace. Um, so have you ever known someone who spoke life to a dead person and they rose back to life? Have you ever known someone that, that had authority over their death, that they died and they yielded up their spirit? I want to remind you as well of Hebrews 4.12, as this is true for the Bible, which is the written word of God, all focused on the living word of God, which is Christ. Hebrews 4.12 Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Christ divides, okay? We are to be as a church united in the truth, but true doctrine divides And if you're faithfully following Christ, if you're following his word and you're seeking to live righteously, it's going to seem weird to people. Okay, you're going to seem different. You're going to be hated. It's not going to be popular. And Satan wants to destroy you. Yet even during the ridicule, even during the criticism, even during when people are putting you down and they're putting you down because of your faith in the Lord Jesus we can still rejoice due to the words of Jesus. Luke 6.22. Luke 6.22. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, which I'm not going to do. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So rejoice when you're slandered. Rejoice when you're roasted. Rejoice when you're put down because you take your faith too seriously. We must follow Jesus because he deserves it. We must follow him. How? Matthew 16, 24. The scripture is clear. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Notice it didn't say live your best life and sin as much as you can. It said die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow the one who was slain for you to pay for your sin debt. Repent and believe. You're not saved by your good works. You're not saved by your obedience, but you are saved by the gift. By grace through faith. Hate the sin that contributed to the death of our Savior. Hate the things of the world that people love that God hates. Cling to Jesus. Turn from sin. Cling to Jesus who God loves and walk and the power of the Holy Spirit daily. We're just about to wrap up. Charles Spurgeon, he said, many men have been helped to live, they've been helped to live by remembering that they must die. Keep the eternal perspective. Keep the eternal perspective and press on. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. So due to the grace of God, And what he's done for us. 
How are you going to live the rest of your life? I want to encourage you, die to yourself and follow the living word. Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Has anyone ever spoken like this man? Has anyone ever known, once again, has anyone ever known all the sin that you have done in your life more than anybody else yet still forgives you and has said it is finished? Your sin debt's been paid in full by the sacrificial death of Christ and we've been given eternal hope due to the resurrection. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We have victory over sin and death due to Christ. No one ever lived like Jesus. No one ever lived like him. No one ever died like him. No one ever conquered death like him. No one ever spoke like him. So how are you going to speak? Now, once again, I'm not perfect, but what words come out of your mouth? Are they tearing people down? Are they building someone up in the faith? Let's, let's turn today. Let's turn today. I'm trying to remind myself that as well. Let's turn today to Jesus and glorify him with what we say and how we live. Okay? We need to build each other up. We need to speak the truth in love. And we need to share the true biblical gospel. You know, we have this evangelism uh, meeting tonight at 6. I, I don't believe that evangelism is just confined to this event, but I am so encouraged to see people desire to go share the gospel, whether it's at this event or at work or at the gym or at a restaurant or wherever it may be to, to do to the grace of God, to want to plant seed to others. That is amazing fruit to see that the Holy Spirit would work that in people's hearts to be so on fire to share the true fulfillment and the true love of Christ with others. <clears throat> so I want to encourage you to join us this evening. Um, and another reason we're to share the gospel, why? <laughs> we're commanded to. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every living creature, to the whole creation. Greg Laurie, he said, we do not work for our salvation, but we work from it. So how this week will you speak the truth in love and spread the good news of our Lord, Savior, Shepherd, King? And I even like this one a lot. And our friend, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so unworthy. Our sin contributed to your death. We, we are wretched. We, we have fallen short. We have missed the mark. We deserve nothing but your wrath and separation from you. But you are rich in mercy. You have given us grace. You earned our salvation, Lord Jesus, and you paid it all. And because you paid it all, we can rejoice in knowing that we were stained because of our sin. We were stained, but now we have been washed white as snow. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that they would rejoice because of the good news and because of the good news that they would turn from sin and look to go share the gospel and obey you. And we love because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.